Welcome back to another episode of the Cornell Thank You Podcast. I'm Michelle here with Steph. After one of the most interesting interviews we have ever had, we had Richard Klein, class of 63. He is going to tell you all about his time on campus, which is in some ways similar and in some ways very different from the way that we all experienced it. Yeah, it was fun to ask him about what they wore, what they did, about fraternity parties, and about social life and academic life at Cornell in the early 60s. So you'll hear Richard's story as soon as we roll the intro. We are here today with our special guest, Rich Klein. Rich is from the class of 1964, and Michelle and I are dying to pepper him with questions about what Cornell was like during his years there and find out if we had some similarities of things that we like to do and that he liked to do. And Rich has had a very varied and interesting career, which he'll tell us about as well. So Rich Klein, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, except I'm class of 63. Just because I was engineering, I got my degree in 64. If you were to introduce yourself, you would say class of 63. Right. I'm going back to my 60th reunion uh, this June. Wow. Okay. Fabulous. All right. So before we get to that, take us back to Little Rich, thinking about where should I go to college? Where did you grow up? What were you looking for in a college and why Cornell? Well, I was born in Brooklyn, lived in Brooklyn till I was 11, moved to Englewood, New Jersey at 11. And sort of I look at myself as being from Englewood. I guess if you look at my high school or my junior high school yearbook, it says I wanted to be an electrical engineer. Why? I'm not you know, totally sure, but <laughs> I actually did become an electrical engineer. So I wanted to go to an engineering school. Uh, and what happened when I applied to schools doesn't happen anymore. But at that time, I got into Lehigh, RPI, University of Pennsylvania, MIT, and Cornell. Oh, my gosh. I had a camp friend who was actually a year ahead of me. And I'm still, you know, I don't see him too much because he now lives in Sun Valley, Idaho. But uh, we're still in contact. So I've known him since I was 13. And... He is by far the smartest guy I know. And as I said, he was a year ahead of me. So when I was looking at the schools, he invited me up to Cornell uh, and I spent time with him. We talked about it and I decided Cornell was where I wanted to go. And I never regretted that decision, despite not being that uh, so much of a social butterfly. Somehow I married, managed to meet my wife and get married uh, upon graduation. Frankly, it's the best thing, you know, in my life. So we want to know, give us a picture of what freshman year. So you enter in 1959. Were there dorms for freshmen? How did the housing work and where did you live on campus? Uh, at that time, it, the dorms were, let's see, West Campus, is that it? Down at the bottom of the hill? Yes. We were only, I think, the second class in those dorms. So they were relatively new. The dorm rooms were cinder block. They were enough for two beds and a small closet and a desk. And, you know, freshman engineers, we had physics, calculus, chemistry, metallurgy, mechanical drawing. Uh, our, we had to take ROTC one year and then it got canceled. 
uh, and Jim, and I probably left out, oh, in English. And it was, a, I would say, a tough transition because I'm a reasonably bright guy. Yeah. And I didn't have to work in high school. And I got up to Cornell and discovered the bullshit that I pulled in high school wasn't going to fly. <laughs> By the sophomore year, I, I you know, had learned to study and I figured out that if I didn't work my rear end off, uh, I wasn't going to succeed or accomplish what I hoped to accomplish. And uh, I had an interesting freshman roommate. Nice guy. He had been a state diving champion in uh, Florida. So he joined the diving team at Cornell. The thing was, though, he smoked like a chimney, played electric guitar in our dorm room. If he hadn't gone into the pool, he wouldn't have showered for the whole oh. semester. And he had the good grace to flunk out after one semester. <laughs> and what happened? Did you get a new roommate or did I you get to have the roommate down the corridor who happened to be from Tenafly? Just, uh, oh, yeah. So close uh, to you. Yeah. And there were about five or six of us on our floor who joined the same fraternity, Phi Ep, which doesn't exist anymore. It got absorbed by ZBT a couple of years after I left. But Stan... Uh, my second roommate was my roommate sophomore year at, in the fraternity. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, he didn't make it through. But that's a different story. Tell us a little bit about Phi Ep. What, what, it was Phi Epsilon. Phi. Phi Epsilon Pi. And you had a house on campus? If you walk north from the suspension bridge, it was maybe five blocks we okay. were right behind Acacia, if you know where Acacia is. Oh, yeah. It was a relatively new, somewhat modern fraternity house. And it was, you know, as, as you rank fraternities, we were sort of mid-tier. Basically, I, I looked at my fraternity experience, and I, I'm sure you know the movie uh, Animal House. <laughs> Animal House was written by a guy, Dartmouth class of uh, 63. So my generation. And we were a relatively sedate fraternity. And, and most of the guys there were reasonably academically oriented, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yet when I saw Animal House, I could identify every person in that movie with somebody in my fraternity. Oh, my God. And I talked to my fraternity brothers and we all agreed. So-and-so was such guy in the character. <laughs> was, in, in some ways, I look and I say fraternities are not a great system. They did not necessarily encourage, you know, some of the better things. Yeah. On the other hand, if I had it to do again, I don't hesitatingly join a fraternity because, I mean, that's, I, I met guys I never would have met in, because I was in the engineering hole, you know, most of the time. I mean, I got to know, you know, a much broader cross-section of uh people there than I ever would have without the fraternity because of the fraternity. You know, the, the fact that I have fraternity brothers who were going out with girls or knew other girls, you know, I got set up on dates and one of them eventually turned out to be my wife. Did your social life mostly surround fraternity life? The first few years, yeah. My... First few years. And your wife was also a student at Cornell? No, she was what we called an import. The ratio then was four to one men to women at Cornell. In the engineering school, there were probably 3,500 students, one woman. At that wow, time. my gosh. 
Now it's, I think, 55%. So many of us had to go and import. You'd go to Cortland, you go to yeah. State. And where was she imported from? From Elmira. Elmira. Okay. So they would come for parties and things like that and date nights. My fraternity brother, my roommate, but he was, you know, going steady. And I said, can you get me a date, Marty? <laughs> and he got me a date. Did you know right away when you saw her? Was this love at first sight? No. No. Well. <laughs> does she know that? Yeah. Does she know Because <laughs> no. this is going to air, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it was not Romeo and Juliet. It wasn't. Okay. But but over time, so she would come back to campus and... Yeah, I mean, I'd pick her up and we'd, uh, you know, go to the fraternity parties or not. The beginning, that's the beginning of my senior year. So you're starting to get a little tired of that scene, but you do some of it. And you had enough friends. And, you know, in those days, we'd have wild parties in our apartment. We play uh, Password. And, and other and charades and other such. Oh, like parlor games. Yeah. Parlor okay. Games. And what about college town life? Did you guys go out to bars? What bars were there? What did you do? Now we did not really do the bar scene. We lived off North Trim- Triphammer Road. Yep. In Lansing Apartments, which now are condos, but then were first just first years they were built. So we were not in the uh, college town scene at all. And if you wanted to drink, you went to the fraternity on Saturday night. The only time I'd go to a bar was after, I guess, in the spring, the last final exam. I and a couple of friends would go down to Zinks, buy a pitcher of sours or something, and get a little oh, snuckered. Of but sours. What, what are sours? Like whiskey, whiskey sours? sours? Yeah. Oh, a pitcher of whiskey sours. Wow. And I want to get a, a picture of the dance floor. Are you all, I'm thinking like, are you dressed up? Like what are people wearing to fraternity parties? The normal party you might wear a sweater. Okay. There were no tube tops on the women. No. And on you know, the big weekends, you'd have the men would wear tuxedos. And you probably Friday night would wear a time jacket. I mean, it was a totally different ambiance at that time. It's nice. I like it. So tell us, what were the hot spots? What were the restaurants? What were the bars? Where did you go? There really weren't any hot spots. You went to the fraternities, and about the only thing you would do is after uh, a party on Saturday night, maybe 12, 1 o'clock, you'd go down to Obie's. What was that? Obie's was like a diner, a rail, old converted railroad car, way down at the far end, past where Joe's was, et cetera, of Ithaca. You'd have something, you know, very healthy, like a Jaeger burger. A Jaeger burger was a hamburger with a, a fried egg on it. Oh, yes. I like that. The food trucks may have been on the uh, North Campus. Bars, basically, no. If you saw Animal House... And, you know, they had a toga party. We had a toga party. Of course. We had a Wild West party. We had a jungle party. Uh, oh, you did themes. I like it. We did yeah. themes. All right. So our our experiences were not that different, minus the white gloves and the jacket <laughs> and, and the ties. Yeah. yeah. And what about sporting events, things happening on campus? What was well, it like? I think in five years there, I went to every single home football game. I mean, it was the thing to do. Saturday, you'd go to the game and then you go, you know, to the fraternity for lunch. And then there was a party at, at night. Go to the basketball games. 
while I was there, we played, we used to play Navy in football. And we play, I'd go to the, you know, occasional basketball games. And we do intramural sports. Uh, so we have a very big SDT following of this podcast. We keep in touch with 30 or 40 sorority sisters who are loyal listeners. Please tell our listeners, was SDT on campus at that time? And was it a great sorority? SDT was on campus. Our fraternity had a very good relationship. Do you know who lived in room 14 in the SDT house? No, I, I didn't date any SDT. <laughs> Michelle and I lived there and we just would wanted to know who was there before us. So we want to hear a little bit about your plans. You were an engineer. What were you thinking about doing when you graduated? And give us like a little quick history of your work life. Well, I went to graduate school at Caltech. I intended to get a doctorate. I got uh, a master's the first year and was there the second year and decided I'd made a mistake in choosing my advisor. I didn't particularly like him. He didn't particularly like me. I had very <laughs> little interest in what he had me doing. So I uh, got a job. I went to work at RCA in New Jersey in an advanced development group. And I first worked on light emitting diode and diode lasers. Because uh, my background and field was really quantum mechanics, quantum physics. I then went with what was a spin-off out of that, trying to develop the, the displays. We made an advertising display out of it. We made a clock, which was uh, really nice. After about eight to nine years, we just kind of, when we were developing these displays, they needed somebody to go out potentially and talk to customers who actually understood what we could do, what we couldn't do, and you know, what was involved in it. And I got involved in doing those things. Uh, so I went and I took a job with another RCA spinoff, which made diode lasers as their marketing manager. And then through an odd set of circumstances, I was, I got the odd call. So I got a call from a guy who was a securities analyst who was interested in the technology. And I started to tell him about it. And he actually understood the gobbledygook. So I said, you have to be an engineer. Because otherwise, you wouldn't have the slightest idea what I'm saying. And he was, and he told me, yeah, he was an engineer, but he you know, became a securities analyst and it paid well and da-da-da. So I said to him, look, I'm not looking for a job, but if you ever hear of an opening, I'm always willing to do it. And at that point, because I was doing marketing, I had gone uh, to school at night at Rutgers and was finishing my MBA. And he called me back maybe 15 minutes later, said this small company in Newark might be interested. The small company was Prudential Insurance. And he offered me a job and it was 50% more than I was paid. So I took it. I had no idea what the job and My wife said to me, you've always talked about wanting to teach. Why don't you contact the local community college and Rutgers, which is, we were pretty close to Rutgers. And I got very lucky. They needed adjuncts. I adjuncted for a semester or so. Over, I guess, 16 years, I taught full-time at Middlesex County College and adjuncted most semesters at Rutgers teaching math. actually taught one engineering course at Middlesex, and I really love that. Rich, we, we know you've had a varied career, you know, as an engineer at RCA and developing different products as a professor, as a teacher at startups. When you look back on your career, what do you think Cornell helped prepare you for the most? First of all, the, the education I got there was terrific. I mean, 
when I was there, I don't remember other than a lab ever having the TA. My recitation sections were taught by the professors. In particular professors, I remember who may not have been the greatest lecturers or teachers, but loved what they did and communicated that enthusiasm. That was always, you know, terrific. The other thing I look at is I took courses in the ILR school. I took them in the art school. I took them in the ag school. And some of them were wonderful courses. I took three courses in economics. I had a course in 20th century art taught by a visiting professor, one of the great teachers I ever had. I took First Amendment, Supreme Court. All right. So I want to fast forward for a second, because not only did you have this tremendous Cornell experience, which led to a great career, but we found you because your daughter, who graduated in 1990, reached out to us and said, you've got to talk to my dad. But now I want to ask you about what it was like when your daughter got into Cornell. Do you remember when she got in? And do you remember what it was like to bring her to campus? So she got into Cornell. What dorm was she in, Richard? Because we were there at that time, too. Let's see. I was in six. Okay. And she was, I think, in one. Oh, she was in the U-Haul also. Okay. You know, I, I would take her or we'd be driving somewhere and I'd say to her, Deb, let me show you my fraternity house. Or let me show you where, you know, I lived when I was here. Total non-interest. Oh, really? Well, it's hard when a, a child goes to their parents' school because they want to have their own experience and figure things out on the campus by themselves. That, that she'd be comfortable because she had spent the summer at the Cornell, you know, summer school. So Richard, we sort of covered our Cornell speed round when you talked about some of your favorite places at Cornell, but tell us, um, what, what are you doing now? Are you retired? How are you spending your time and, and what are you up to? Well, I retired from my full-time teaching in 2008 and we kept teaching fall semester, a couple of courses. My wife was also at Rutgers teaching math till about 2000, probably 2016. My sister had bought a house in Amagansett. We looked for a house there. It's turned out to be the best decision. This will be the 30th summer out there. We play tennis uh, four, five, six days a week. Uh, we play golf. We go to the beach. It's wonderful. It sounds like you have a very full retirement. You had this incredible career that led you to this wonderful life that you have now. And it's one of those things that we could all only hope for, for ourselves too. And we all credit Cornell with a lot of our happiness in life. And I know you had told us the same thing. If now you had to think about what you're most thankful to Cornell for, what would it be? One is my wife. That's one thing. Two is I loved what I studied. Well, Richard, thank you. This has been a joy to hear about your experience at Cornell and hear about Cornell in that time. And we really appreciate you spending time on our podcast. I know our listeners will enjoy hearing your stories. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so great to meet you. Thanks so much for listening. Join us next week for another episode of the Cornell Thank You Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>